Welcome to Proudly ADHD at work and in business. I am your host, Coach Kathy Rashidian, and I help professionals like you understand the science behind your unique brain so you can unlock that inner genius. Ready to transform your ADHD into your best asset? Keep listening. Welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy. From time to time, as you know, I bring on some amazing guests and some amazing ADHDers to my show. And today we are joined with Zara, and she is based out of US. She's a doctor of pharmacy. And we're going to talk about her late in life diagnosis of ADHD and how she maneuvered through the whole thing. And just a side note that as you have heard by now, I am obsessed with this new audio app called Clubhouse. And that's where I heard Zara talk about her ADHD story. And I really wanted to capture her story in this show and bring it to my listeners. So Zara, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. Awesome. So for the sake of our audience, we're going to go for about 30 minutes or so, and let's have a casual conversation. And I know a little bit about you. So let, let's bring it to the audience. Give us your story of your late in life diagnosis of ADHD. How did that come about? Actually quite interesting in the sense that I went to graduate school, learned all about, you know, variety of disorders and psychology and mental health disorders were obviously a component of our education. And, and I went to school quite a while ago. And I think that many of us um, have known ADHD to be mainly, you know, prominent in boys who are jumping off the walls. So I think that we never learned about, you know, how it looks in an adult and, or how it can even look in girls. So I had no idea that it can even exist in the way that it manifested in me. And I think the fact that I was a first-generation immigrant and came to this country, you know, kind of on this uh, mission to, first of all, come, you learn the language and become part, you understand the culture and fit in, that was all kind of mixed in to the ADHD symptoms. So, and this idea of being very, hardworking just kind of contributed to being very resilient. So a lot of the hard work that I did or a lot how hard I would work grades and trying to get straight A's. And really, I think that's what helped overcome symptoms or hide the symptoms because I had to do well. There was no other way. My parents worked very hard to come to this country. So, and I think that what, what you will see as far as the studies show with ADHD is that those are the high, the high performing or, you know, very intelligent kids are able to compensate and they just kind of learn those skills early on. So it really doesn't manifest itself until they're really kind of stepping into more of a, a new light that's really stretching their comfort level and really those skills that they had implemented to overcome those barriers no longer are adequate or sufficient. So I remember I was already an executive in a, in a hospital system and training a new pharmacist. Well, he was new to our practice, but he had been practicing in naturopathic medicine for a long time. And as I was running around the hospital, showing him all the different processes we had in place and, you know, he was having a hard time keeping up. And he turned to me and said, you know, you have ADHD, right? And I was so offended because I was like, just because he can't keep up with me now, he's putting me, you know, giving me a diagnosis. And I went home and my ex-husband, who was a physician, I told him, can you believe this guy's telling me I have ADHD? And he's like, you do. 
And it was shocking. And I was like, well, when were you going to tell me, you know? And so <laughs> it was, um, it was really odd to me. And I started looking at the symptoms. And if you look at the DSM-5 guidelines, it could kind of apply to anybody, right? All of us go through phases where we are losing focus, where we are procrastinating, all of those things. So the biggest component of what they really assess is, you know, your early childhood symptoms and how long was it impacting you? And I think that we have found to be inaccurate, actually. So there are many kids who are very resilient and hardworking and especially immigrant kids where they're not portraying any of those symptoms. So I think that's a huge barrier to actually getting diagnosed. And secondly, it's about how much it has impacted your life and education. And it hadn't, you know, I had gotten doctorate degree when I was 23. So again, that was a barrier to getting diagnosed. So, and then, so I finally was able to, you know, get diagnosed and get the medication. And because I was under such stress, I also had an anxiety severe anxiety disorder. And you will see those concomitant disorders with almost almost all ADHD patients. We've seen autism, we've seen anxiety or depression. And so when I started taking medications, it would actually push, push me over the ledge. I would become very anxious, very antsy, talk really fast, hyper-focused where I would walk into my office and wouldn't even make it past my desk, trying to organize my desk. So it actually became debilitating and the medication, I would go into meetings and have very little tolerance for individuals who were, who were in the meetings and really, really had to do a lot of studying on my own to try to figure out how do you like utilize these treatments in a way that was, would serve me instead of kind of creating more additional stress and anxiety in my daily routine. Amazing. Wow. I have like goosebumps and I am like, I want to like, you said so many interesting things in there that I'm like, where do we go from here? Because the part about the, the immigrant child who comes into the, to a foreign country and wants to do their very best and is, you know, wanting to make sure the parents are impressed and working so hard. Like that part, I relate to that because I was that child too coming in and there was this identity crisis for me as an Iranian Canadian. It was like, which, which country do I belong to and why don't I fit in? But then the late in life diagnosis was like, oh, it wasn't even those things. It was just my brain being different and I was just a different person in the mix of all of this. So thank you for shedding light into that. It's very interesting what you say. I never thought of it that way about the immigrant children working harder so that they're keeping up and then the, their diagnosis just, you know, it's not there and managing that. I just, I just find that very fascinating. I, I didn't think of it to that point of, wow, the, yes, because one thing they do is like you said, they will check the diagnosis and, and look for the history of the person and you got your doctorates at 23, like amazing, amazing, amazing. So what happened after the, the diagnosis and the medication? At what point, how many years ago is this now? You know, the initial conversation was probably about six, seven years ago. It took me a while to even get treatment or, you know, to even get someone to diagnose me and pres write prescriptions for me. So it took a few years, but really the breakthrough or actually the manifestation of the symptoms became very prominent and, and crippling and, 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 you know, I felt disabled when I transitioned from a small organization to the large one. I mean, that really hit my breaking point to where 
I couldn't take medications because I was under so much stress where I was creating issues with my staff. And then I couldn't get anything done, you know, this constant compensation and it it was just became debilitating. So still to this day, I'm seeking more answers, you know, at least I was able to identify why I was struggling with the things I was, at least I was able to read more about, okay, I run meetings by creating agendas ahead of time. As people are speaking, I write down what I'm going to say so that I'm not so eager to interrupt. So I think that really, for me, that's what the the diagnosis did, is starting to understand why I struggle to be patient, why I work so hard. And, and so, yeah, I think that it was a very slow process and over the several years. And I think just in the past year, learning about non-medication treatments and, you know, at least supplemental and what a big role that plays is where I've kind of started to take control of the, of the disease and then really, really honing in on treating the underlying anxiety. Now I can even take medications without getting thrown off the the edge, I guess. That's great. So what are some of your go-to tools that, that you look at when, when things kind of get a little out of control? I think that, I think as ADHDers, we kind of wear this badge proudly of being able to multitask Mm -hmm. and all the literature that I'm reading is, you know, all of us are kind of becoming a little ADHD just with the amount of electronics around us. And the fact that you can listen to a podcast, drive and answer phones and answer texts. And it's just, you're always um, on call, basically all of us are. And the um, expectation is to always be accessible. And so I thought it was like a superpower that I was able to do all that. And then as I have started to see my memory impacted and I looked into it, found out that that was contributing to so much of the issues. So really actually appreciating being able to take time to, first of all, do one thing at a time. And it's very hard for me. It's a daily struggle to not be, you know, distracted. I go into my phone to answer one text and I see 10 other texts that I I need to do. And so I think just understanding that the value actually is in slowing down to being able to, you know, everyone talks about these buzzwords with mindfulness and breathing, Mm -hmm. meditation and yoga. And I could never do that. I could never slow down enough. And I always thought it was so overrated. And so I'm very science based. So as I'm finding more literature on how that has truly been impactful in several disorders and really finding maybe more moving, you know, meditation and things that, you know, boxing and swimming and the value of that really are the things that I implemented a lot more. And I think that shame, you know, getting help to do the things that you don't want to do. So cleaning or whatever is kind of being more forgiving on getting help, you know, in those things that you don't want to do. And then most importantly is breaking down large um, tasks into small achievable tasks and that kind of creating that dopamine. So a lot of what we need to do is, you know, as you already are aware, is that we lack that dopamine release, which is the happy hormone. So Mm -hmm. how do you create your own dopamine is by kind of self-rewarding and everything that I'm saying works for everyone. This is not specific to ADHD. So I think what's really important is to understand that, you know, not feel like, oh, I have to do all these things really anyone and everyone, especially in the executive realm. This is a daily task that they implement and that's how they succeed. So I think that the other thing that's been very interesting is when I do use the medication, especially when I have projects to address, 
and I use it a few days in a row, it kind of becomes habitual. So the next day or fourth day, I may not need the medication because now I have this like excitement and enthusiasm that I've made progress. And that automatically Mm. you associate that with that positive reinforcement of, oh, I look at how much I've done. So it pushes you that next day. And, you know, remembering that achievement really helps. So that's the other way I've been able to kind of use the medication intermittently. I like that. That's smart. Yeah. And another thing that really resonated with me was the psychology of procrastination and how, what a negative impact it has. So when you succeed in procrastinating a task, it actually releases dopamine and reward system. So then what you end up doing is, um, give that positive look. I did it. I pushed it off one more day and that reinforces the procrastination as well. So really interesting once you understand the psychology of it to really try to overcome those barriers. I like that. On the, on the procrastination one, there are tasks that I will say, I will procrastinate. <laughs> That's just the way it is. It'll be a last minute thing. <laughs> and it is what it is. And usually on that note, it is my podcasts on the ones where <laughs> I'm solo doing them. I will procrastinate on the solo ones. But if I have an interview like this, I will not procrastinate. It'll get done. So there's different motivations in coming to that terms. But it is interesting what you're saying about that, you know, the dopamine of just procrastinating one more day. It's like, yeah, I didn't think of it. It's so true. I want to ask you about medication and ADHD. There's, and we've been in some rooms where, where people are like, oh, I just got diagnosed. I'm so afraid of the meds. Like there's all these different uh, myths. Sometimes I hear the one, the most common one. I I've heard that it's going to kill my creativity, which is so not true. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? ADHD and medication for those that are in that cusp of, should I do it? Don't I do it? What do you think? The first thing that everyone, and a lot of the questions I get is how do I know if my hormonal changes or my mood swings are ADHD or it's, you know, my cycles, we, you know, monthly cycles, or, you know, I can't get diagnosed. So the first thing I always say is you only really need that official diagnosis if you is if you're ready to get treat medication. So uh, medications are known to kind of be just that initial tool, but really the hardest work comes from everything else that you need to do and implement and medications are not right for everyone. And the other thing that I hear a lot as far as a myth is that they're addictive. And yes, they can be addictive to someone who is overusing them or using them to that are not truly diagnosed. But for those of us who really do lack dopamine, there is much less propensity to become addicted. I mean, you definitely have to look at your family history. There is a high association between addiction, alcoholism and ADD, but that's because they've, they kind of use that as a band-aid to kind of deal with the struggles that they didn't learn how to handle, you know, through cognitive of behavioral therapy. So to answer your questions about medications, there's a whole realm of medication. Now there are non-stimulant as well. It didn't really work for me, but again, I was under so much stress that I don't know a whole lot worked for me until I addressed that or removed that heavy um, stressor from, but you know, again, medications are not for right for everyone. And you have to be very in tuned to guide your psychiatrist as to what's working, why it's not working so that they can help you because you have all the answers. And until you go provide a, maybe a journal of when I took it, this is what happened. And when I, when I took it, you know, the, the, here's how I was impacted. They really can't help you. So there's short acting, long acting insomnia that gets mm-hmm. affected. And so 
and then really utilizing those additional supplementation to to address maybe some of the things that are more easier addressed before you maybe go to heavy headers. The other thing that's really important. Go ahead. Sorry. The other thing that's really important about medication is that you build tolerance over time. So giving yourself a medication holiday, not using it on certain days that you may not need it as much or using short acting ones just for that morning, you know, project that you need to get done. And so that it's kind of clears out of your system is a lot of this is, you know, what I do with patients and myself as to kind of address my needs on a day-to-day basis. I really like what you just said, because I am in that boat of, I will be on Vyvanse for six months. And then it stops working, literally. And I can even up the dosage, which I've done in the past, doesn't do nothing. So I I think, yeah, there's this piece of toleration that my body creates. And I really like what you just said. (laughs) Because lately, I feel like I want to go back on it again. Yeah. Yeah, just to see, like, because I I think it is that it's the on and off that, that happens. And I love the other point that you made about removing the big stressors, because sometimes it's not about the medication. It's something really major is going on in your life. Let's just like a pill is not going to make that go away. So sometimes difficult decisions need to be made. Different life choices need to be made. So I, I really appreciate that you said that. Zara, if my listeners are listening in and they're late in life diagnosed and yours was a few years back, if you can remember, let's tap into that working memory, but the long-term working memory, <laughs> what would you want to say to those that are in that cusp of, oh my God, I just found out two months ago. I found out a month ago. What would you want to, what's your message to those adults? And you've gotten so far without the diagnosis. I mean, you've obviously been able to implement enough systems to not need to be diagnosed. So I think that's very empowering and really looking at it as a positive to look at how much you've been able to accomplish and how far you've been able to come without having this, you know, especially about 10, 15 years ago, where it was really stigma to have ADHD and it almost was a crippling news. Whereas now we're seeing more and more positive associations with ADHD. I think some 90% of entrepreneurs have it and a lot of successful people have it. And so to me, it's actually, it's very good news that you've made it this far without needing the medication or heavy, you know, interventions through psychologists and psychiatrists. So yeah, I, I would look at it totally positively. I like that. I like that. And what would, what, what do you think like top three things would be for them to go after once they get the diagnosis? What are your top three go-tos for them? they should consider education, educating yourself. It's, it's incredible how much things will make sense. Once you start to understand what those symptoms look like in, in adults. And then what we see over and over again is how this is a genetic component. So you'll start recognizing it in other members of the family and your children. And so really the tools to first of all, recognize it and then what are the systems you can put in place to additionally help yourself and, and, and those loved ones around you? Secondarily is, again, we're seeing more and more information about, you know, supplementation, nutritional changes that you can make and access to those resources really have truly impacted a lot of the, the population that's diagnosed. And escape my mind. I should be writing these down. So <laughs> <laughs> the true there spirit. it is in real life. Oops. <laughs> and there goes the last point. <laughs> yeah, it will come to me. <laughs> I'd like there that. Is- 
like that. And, you know, actually, the other thing that that we have seen really impact individuals is understanding the value of cognitive behavioral therapy, additionally, yeah. exercise. Oh, here's what I was going to say. Surround yourself or in, in a community that understands those struggles. I think that is literally the number one positive or most effective way to, especially for ADHD patients, because you are so highly aware of your surroundings and you do feel like an outcast and that, you know, really drains our energy. So being around others who understand it, who value it, who can sympathize with you really is empowering. And then the other thing is I tell my family members about, you know, this is my ADHD. And unfortunately I get this feedback of, don't use it as an excuse or, you know, I feel like you're using it as a, as a way to get, make through things or, you know, when you're late to events or when you uh, interrupt them. And so that's the other thing is educating those individuals around you and giving them the tools to support you. And how is it that they can help you get through it? Cause it ultimately helps them because then you'll end up being late everywhere and jumping into conversations and everything else that, you know, then creates that barrier to build those relationships. I love that point and that, you know, self-advocating, but from a place of empowerment, from a place of, this is just the way it is. And thank you for your patience. I'm working on it. (laughs) I don't apologize for it. I I never (laughs) apologize. I'm always like, I'm working on it. It's work in progress. Thank you so much, Zara. This was tremendous. Uh, you you really have a way with words and, and the way you explain things just so beautifully. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> we could talk for hours. <laughs> so thank you. Is there anything else before I wrap it up that you want to share that I missed? You know, I, I think that you and I both have been able to create a lot of, meet a lot of amazing people in this space. So I would say to listeners, you know, to reach out if there is places where you're stuck, where you're not able to find resources. I think that as we are growing what I call our tribe, we're getting access to more and more individuals who are actually in very great places in their life and really doing ADHD advocacy on the side because it's it feeds us really. So yeah, so I would just say, you know, connect, reach out and try to find support in every shape or form you can. Awesome. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for all of your words of wisdom. It was awesome. Well, folks, there you have it. Another shining bright star was with us today. Zara, thank you. Thank you for having me. And until next time, my friends, keep on shining. Thank you for tuning in to another episode on Proudly ADHD. I am humbled by the fact that you're here every week listening into each episode. I know you have many choices on the different platforms and podcasts on ADHD and you come to me every week and listen to what I have to say and listen to my, my amazing guests and experts that come on the show. To that note, I would love to connect with you and continue this conversation on your ADHD journey and navigating through it. And I'd like to invite you to the upcoming free ADHD masterclass where we have powerful conversations on how to transform your ADHD into your best asset. To get into the next session that's coming up, please go to bit.ly slash ADHD masterclass, or you can go to my show notes to access the link. Again, that URL is bit.ly forward slash ADHD masterclass. I cannot wait to see you in person. Well, virtual that is. 
but to create this conversation back and forth. Hope to see you there.